0: Hey, thanks for tuning into our podcast today. My name is Derek Puckett. I'm the lead pastor at Renewal Church of Chicago. If you want to know more information about us, you can head to our website at RenewalChicago.com. I pray today that this message is a blessing and an encouragement to your soul. Galatians chapter 5. We're going to be in verse 16 uh, through 25. Have you all enjoyed this series, Galatians? Yeah, yeah. Like, I don't know about y'all, but it's really been messing with my heart. And I'm writing it, and I'm like, Lord Jesus, uh, this whole cultivation and just really coming back to this foundational understanding of what is the gospel? What has Jesus done for So we're going to be Galatians chapter 5. If you've got a Bible, go ahead and stand on your feet with me if you're able. If you don't have it, it'll be on the screen. Hello to you online. Welcome to our 9 a.m. Galatians chapter 5, uh, verse 16 through 25. You got to Say got it. Here now the reading of God's word. It says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit... Today, I want to preach on the topic, the battle of desire, the battle of desire. I heard, it's going to get thick in here today, okay? The battle of desire, let me pray. Father, thank you so much for this morning. You are truly an awesome God. You're good in ways that we could never imagine. You're good to us. And so, God, I thank you for this gathering. But, God, I do ask as I preach that you would hide me behind your cross, uh, that it would not be my words that are spoken, but it would be your word. Spirit, fill this room. Prick our hearts in ways that we need to be pricked, but also lift us up in ways we need to be lifted up. Decrease me so that you increase. Father, have your way. And it's in the mighty name of Jesus that everyone said together... Amen, amen. You can be seated. <clears throat> well, friends, have you ever desired something uh, deep within your being? I mean, desired something uh, so much so that you, you just felt like you can't live without it. Like you just have to have it. You, you ever been there before? Desire just that deep. Uh, when my wife and I moved to Memphis, Tennessee, uh, we have got some Memphians in here. Did I hear something? Okay, okay. We moved to Memphis, Tennessee back in, I think it was 2010. There was this place called Sheridan's Frozen Custard. Y'all, I fell in love with this place. Sheridan's frozen custard everything on the menu was simply amazing and there was this one item that i i fell in love with jordan i fell in love with this thing man it was it was called et's charming cheesecake et's charming cheesecake now i need y'all to picture this thing it's like a blizzard okay but it's custard a blizzard frozen custard with chunks of strawberries and cheesecake chunks all throughout. And then you got the blended up graham cracker crust all throughout this thing. Whipped cream on top. Save the fake cherry. I'm good without it. (laughs) I loved some E.T.'s Charming cheesecake. It was amazing. But the problem with this is that I, it was at this point that I was, I was starting to feel my body go through some changes, and my, my stomach, some of y'all know what I'm about to say, my stomach just wouldn't feel so good after eating this frozen custard all the time, gassy and things of that nature. Bless my wife. And sadly, it was at this moment that I found out, found out that I was lactose. And intolerant. Steve would tell me all the time, and I'm like, no, I'm good. <laughs> and y'all yeah, could have, I could have, I could have, I, I could've followed somebody at this moment. Because it was at this moment that I knew that I could not eat E.T.'s Charming cheesecake anymore. I was mad. Because I couldn't eat what I wanted to eat, what I desired to eat. And I know y'all are like, well, Pastor G, they got all kinds of substitutes now. You get it, almond milk and oat milk and coconut. Who wants something that's going to make it taste like the nut? You know, I don't want that. I, 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 want, I want the real thing. You know what I'm saying? And then they're like, well, you could take a pill before. did that, that? No, I just want to eat. <laughs> Sadly, I, I just I couldn't do what I desired anymore. You you're probably saying, well, what, what does this have to do with today? Well, listen, everything we desire is not always good for us. Yep. Everything we desire in life is not always good for us in the long run. When we get into this text today, Paul, he looks closely at the desires of the flesh versus the desires of the spirit. And, and the, the truth is, as I left you off last week with, is is that when the gospel takes root in our heart, it it changes your motivations. It it changes who you are. It's the spirit, though. It's not you. It's the spirit working within you that does the changing, makes you more like Jesus. So it's not how much you do. It's the spirit working in you. And so today, as I walk through this, it's going to feel a bit different. As I'm preaching, because I'm not so much gonna preach, but I'm gonna really I'm gonna teach you all. I want you to get this. I want you to see the spirit versus the flesh. And so I'm gonna preach. You're gonna get a word today, I promise. But I, I wanna teach you this thing because this is tough. And it's gonna feel tough at times today. So I want you to, to know that because not only what I'm, what was what, said in this passage is just tough when you break it down, but I also want you to take a deep introspective look at your own desires. I want you to introspectively look and say, well, what is it that I truly desire? Do I desire the things of God? Or is it what I want, my flesh? So that's my question. I want to preface our time today. Where's your desire? Is it rooted in the things of God or in your own longings? I got three points and I'm out your way. Number one... We must acknowledge the battle. We must acknowledge the battle. Number two, the works of the flesh. The works of the flesh. And lastly, the fruit of the spirit. The fruit of the spirit. We're going to walk through all three of these. And Paul, as we jump into the text, he's continually, just to bring you up to speed if you haven't been here, he's continually railing against This new gospel that's coming into the way or the land of Galatia, one that says that you're saved by what you do, what you bring to the table. A gospel that says when you follow the law, you're saved by your good works. And Paul says, no, no, you're only saved by your faith in Jesus Christ and by the grace of God. He says there's freedom in Christ when you believe. Because salvation now isn't based off of what you do or what you brought to the table. It's not based on your works, but it's based on Jesus' work on the cross. This means that your life after salvation isn't based on how good you are. It's not based on how bad you are either. God still loves you versus whether you're good or you're bad. Your life now as a believer or your righteous standing is found now in the precious work of Jesus. It's not found in what you do, it's found in his work. And so I posed the question last week, and I said, well, how can you now live in freedom? Not not obligation, but how can you, in freedom, understanding what has been done for you on your behalf, how can you now, in freedom, live for Jesus more today? How can you? So today, Paul, Paul, he further dives into this question a bit. I told you last week, we'll get into it more. But he says, there's a war, everybody say war. There's a war that's going on inside of every believer that works against you living for Jesus. There are two natures that exist in every Christian, the flesh and the spirit, according right here to verse 16. So today, again, this is going to be tough. I'm going to tell you that. It's going to be tough in many ways, but we need to take an introspective look at our hearts We have to answer the question, which desires or nature am I following, my flesh or the spirit? So, get into this text, I need to break some things down, and so we got to go to school a little bit, because I don't want you to miss what's going on here. I want you to see the deeper meaning in the text, and so stick with me. I promise I'm coming to your neighborhood. Paul begins by saying, walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. Follow me within the the text. Now, in the Greek or the original language, the word flesh is pronounced sarx, it's S-A-R-X. This is key to know because when we translate it just to flesh, it, 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 it can lose meaning here because it's not just talking about your fleshly body. It's not just talking about your physical being. In reality, when Paul says desires of the flesh, he's referring to a nature. He's referring to a nature that is within you, that's within us, that goes against God. Thus, our sinful nature. Verse. 17 Paul says that this nature is contrary to the spirit now listen this nature doesn't he's not just talking about the nature that's in the non-believer the person that doesn't believe in Jesus no he's really referring to everyone and say this nature is in you because there's parts of your heart that have not fully been submitted to Jesus and so we, we, we can easily say well that 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 he's talking about the person that doesn't believe no but if we're honest all of us in here fit this category because we all struggle with submission of our whole being to God in one way or another. God, I'm going to give you this part over here, but this is mine. God, I'm going to give you this relationship, but this relationship, oh, oh, this is mine. We struggle with this. We don't like to admit the battle that goes on within us that's in our minds, battle within our heart, this battle for control. And so I think many times when we read this passage, we diminish our struggle. We, We like to think of the spiritual battle that's going on around us with all the problems that we see in the world, with all the chaos that we see in the world, the the wars and what have you, and we miss the point here in these verses. Paul very clearly, right here at the beginning, he lets us know that he's speaking of an internal battle because he uses the word desire, which comes from within the heart. And so this conflict between the flesh and the spirit is one that happens within all of us. He mentions this because, verse 19, what we desire, listen to this, produces certain qualities in our character. What we desire produces certain qualities in our character. So Paul is talking about a nature within us that creates qualities. But how is this so? Listen, Avery, when Paul uses the word desire, it is actually epithemia, which means an over-desire. It means an inordinate desire. Now, here's where this gets tricky. Because it's not so much that we have an over-desire for evil. It's not so much that we have an over-desire or inordinate desire for bad things. No, what he's really saying is that we have an over-desire for things that are good. Well, you've heard us say this throughout weeks past and other series that, that we, we, God gives us good things... But then we, we take the good thing and we make it an ultimate thing. We, we make that thing a God thing when it was just for us to enjoy and look at God more. But we make it a God thing. We make it a God. For instance, your work. Work is a good thing. But when we start overworking and all we do is work, now that thing is a God thing. It's you've made something good ultimate. Y'all follow me with this thing? We take good things, and we make it a God thing. But maybe you're saying, well, work's not for me. Money. Money's a good thing. But when you start to love money more than anything, it's an idol. It's a God thing. Sex. Sex is a good thing. But when it's outside of the proper context of the marital relations of one one man and one woman, now we've made it a God thing because it's all about what we want, when we want it, how we want it. It's a God thing. See, the point here that Paul is making is that there is desire in all of us. And it's a good thing to have desire. But when it's, owned, when it's led by the Spirit, that's when it's the good thing. When it's taken in and it's all about what we want, now it's inordinate. It's an over-desire. It creates this idea, follow me, within us where, where we, we feel like we're owed something. We we feel like it's mine, I got to have more of it, I need more of this thing. That's what sin is. It's really not just the desire to have, I want to do bad things, I want to do evil things. No, no, it's the idea that we have taken good things that God has given us to enjoy and we've made them into things that are ultimate, that, that, that we feel old, that we can't live without. We have made good things ultimate. Now, with this context, hopefully you've been with me, once you read verse 17 again, Paul literally says that the inordinate or over-desires of the flesh are against the spirit. But watch this. He only uses the word epithemia, over-desire, when he's talking about the flesh. You don't see that in your text. Now, I know it says desires twice with the flesh, and it says desires with the, with the spirit, but if you read this in other, uh, other translations, it won't use the desire when talking about the flesh. Now, why is this? Because he's using the word over-desire, and you over-desire in your flesh. The spirit can't over-desire anything. He's God. He has it all, but why does he use desire twice in our text? Well, here's the thing. The flesh has things that it yearns for, but the spirit also yearns too. But that's where the battle lies. Here's the difference. The flesh yearns to satisfy self. The spirit yearns to satisfy Jesus. Uh, Jesus in John 16, 14 says, that the Holy Spirit will come and he will glorify me. And so these two, they're at war with one another. They're opposite. The flesh yearns for what we want and what we think will be good for us. But yet the spirit yearns for the things of God. The spirit yearns to glorify Jesus. This is a war. And so much so that if you read the end of verse 17 for the Christian, it says that it keeps you from doing what you want to do. This is the battle that Paul himself writes about in Romans 7. When, he looks, when you look at verse 22 and 23, he says, I, I want to glorify you, God. I want to do the things that I I know I want to do, but I keep doing the things that I don't want to do. I, I want to do this, but I always do the things that I don't want to do. And as you read Romans 7, you think that Paul's going crazy. But in reality, he's just talking. He's acknowledging the struggle. He's acknowledging the war that exists inside of the believer. Listen, the Christian's deep desire is to do right. We want to do right by the Lord, and we yearn for what God wants. But the war with the flesh is real. It's real. Believer here, let me ask you, have you ever felt that tug where you just, you know the Lord is, is saying, do this thing. He's calling you this place, leave this alone, leave that person alone, be here. Maybe take this job, do something else. But yet, you want to do this thing. You're like, this is for me. This is what I want to do. And you find yourself going this way all the time, although you know God is saying, go do this. You ever felt that before? This, this tug, this pull, this tug of war? And see, if you're sitting there and you're saying, I ain't never felt that. I make all my own decisions, and I feel comfortable and confident with all my decisions, then you really need to sit there and question whether or not you've been redeemed. I know it's tough, but this is a war that every Christian feels. There's a tension that exists within your heart with these desires. It's a real one. They're opposed to each other. So Paul, he begins by acknowledging the war, but he doesn't just stop with mentioning the war between the spirit and the flesh, but he says, verse 18, that the believer needs to be led by the spirit in order to not gratify the flesh, or in other words, be under the law. Why does Paul say under the law? Hear me, because the way of the flesh, don't miss this, the way of the flesh rejects the free gift of grace. The, the way of the flesh reject, rejects Christ's righteousness. The way of our flesh says, I must do this, I, I, I must seek out this to satisfy me. This person lacks true trust in the fulfillment found in Jesus. Therefore, it leaves one always seeking their own righteousness. Got to be my own savior. Pastor Tim Keller, he says it this way. He says, therefore, the sin underneath all sins, the motive for our disobedience, is always a lack of trust in God's grace and goodness and a desire to protect and guard our own lives through self-salvation their own lives through self-salvation. Your flesh wants you to think that you can be your own savior. Wants you to think that you can be your own Lord. It wants you to believe that you have all power to do all things in your own strength. And the hard part about this is that every media outlet Your family members, your school, everything tells you that this is the way you live life. This is the way you you make it through life. Let me ask you, how's that working out for you? How do you feel this morning? Are you tired? Do your emotions go from high to low all the time? Do you feel anxious? Feel fear? Do you have peace? See, the struggle with the flesh is real. This is tough. And I mean, I'm not just talking to you all, but even myself, I battle with this too. If you all have noticed over the last couple of months, you've you probably seen me wearing this, this whoop band. And this is not a commercial, I promise. <laughs> but I've been wearing this, and because... Um, and it's not the latest fad. It's not that. Um, but, and honestly... I, all honesty, as I wear this, it, it teaches me, allows me to listen to my body more, and in listening to my body, now I can be more more in tune with the spirit of God. Well, you ask, well, how does that work? Because if you're like me, you don't see limits. You don't. You you have a drive that doesn't stop. You just keep going and going and going. Now, now this is praised by many people in society because you can tend to do things that most people can't do or accomplish this thing and that thing. But there's a downside to this. And I'm talking about myself. Maybe you're with me, but I'm talking about myself. The downside is you can find yourself trusting in yourself and your own abilities versus the spirit. I can make that happen. And so I commonly find myself tired because I haven't slept enough. And I, I just wake up. And I get back to doing the same thing over and I, I got to get this done. I got to make this happen. But here's the problem. <laughs> when I don't sleep, I don't think well. When I don't sleep, I'm irritable. I'm quick to anger. I'm impatient. I'm not kind. All of the which are not fruit of the spirit. And so this whoop thing on my wrist right here, it allows me to see my stress. It allows me to see my strain. It allows me to see my sleep. Did I sleep well or did I not? It it, it tells me to slow down. It lets me know when I can go harder, whether that's at work or when I'm working out. It's like a coach. And again, please don't hear me doing a commercial for this thing. Hear me saying that, that, that my drive, maybe this is you my drive to prove oneself or be my own savior, it slowly kills me anyway because even if I achieve the climb or the top of the mountain, you know what? My body kept score and I'm going to die slowly anyway. Now, I hope you're following me with this thing because this is a physical example of a spiritual war that's happening inside the believer. And if these things happen to your physical from being your own Savior, how much more do you think your heart is in grave danger? How much anxiety do you really feel? How much pressure do you really feel? What, what, what is your blood pressure like anyway? Do you, how much fear do you really feel? Have you heard me say this before? The weight that comes from being your own savior or achieving all in your own strength is too heavy. It's too heavy. All of this stems from us not trusting in the goodness of God. Now, why is it too heavy? Because being a created being, you weren't meant to take care of creation. You weren't meant to lead your own life by yourself. And even if you accomplish something by yourself, the weight only gets heavier The weight of approval, the weight of performance, it never stops. And deep down within you, you say, well, if I just do this, I'll be loved. If I just do this thing, then I'll be accepted. If I just do this thing, then I'll get this job. If I just do this, I'll get this house. I'll get this spouse. I'll get this. I'll get that. It never stops. Because the flesh is never satisfied. The flesh not only wants you. To be your own savior where it's never satisfied, it never stops, it always wants more. But this inordinate or over-desire inside of us produces, watch this, it produces inordinate practices and horrible outcomes. Paul, he he gets into this and he begins to tell us about this in verse 19. He starts with sexuality. He says sexual immorality. And this word is originally porneia. This is where we get our word porn from. But this isn't just about porn. Uh, This, what he's referring to, is anything sexual outside of the marital covenant between one man and one woman as immoral and not acceptable acceptable to God. This is impurity. This is unmarried sex. This is unnatural sexual practices. This is relationships outside of that covenant and even uncontrolled sexuality. All of this stems, watch this, from a good desire That God gave you to want to have sex. But when controlled by our sharks or our fleshly nature, our desires, it doesn't honor God. But instead, it honors what we believe is right. He keeps moving because I know y'all don't, we don't like to talk about sex. We like to watch it, but we don't like to talk about it. Did I say that out loud? I'm sorry. We, We don't like to talk about sex. Paul keeps moving on, and he says, verse 20, with the first words, we're going to get back in this later, with being idolatry and sorcery. Now, some translations say witchcraft. This is to say that the acts of the sin nature, do not miss this, within us, don't, they don't just desire things, but our nature actually tries to replace God with another thing, other people. An idol, even a made-up god. Y'all remember Miss Cleo back in the day? Miss Cleo, oh Miss Cleo would tell everything. Y'all, old black, y'all don't even old black psychic woman. I was like, no. Sorcery, fortune telling, witchcraft are just ways for you to satisfy your flesh to find the outcome you're looking for. They're just humans like you. They're not God. He moves on from sexuality and false gods, and he says, verse 20 to 21, he uses eight words here, beginning with enmity, and he ends with envy that deal with the destruction of relationships. So he's talking about relationships here. Four of these words deal with destructive attitudes, selfish ambition, covetousness, jealousy, hatred. It's the idea of wanting what others have and making things all about you. That's not kingdom-minded. It's not about God. That's about you, That's not the spirit of God. That's you. And to be honest, some of us need to stop and say, man, is that me? Are my motivations in life and what I'm trying to accomplish all about me? Is it about others or is it about God or is it just about me? The other four words he describes, the outcome of these four destructive attitudes. He says, discord, like you're always argumentative. Or or fits of rage and outbursts where... You just say hello to somebody, and they're like, why are you talking to me? And you're like, I just said hello. (laughs) Fits of rage. Divisions. Warring factions like we see all over the world right now. If one is experiencing these things in your life or relationships, then it's a sure indicator that this nature within you is not of the spirit. I know this is tough. Paul keeps going on, and he says drunkenness and orgies which refer to substance abuse. This isn't talking about sexual orgies so much. This is, this is talking about drinking orgies, drunkenness. When you get drunk together, this doesn't mean don't drink. It specifically refers to drunkenness or addictive substance abuse. So this is where you, where's the Bible uh, passage about smoking marijuana and, and other drugs and things? Here it is right here. The fleshly nature is never content with just a little. It just craves more. Because the high or the feeling that comes with the abuse. And so to avoid the downer or the come down effect, you know what happens? You just run back to the substance or the drink for more. Because you need more of it. You keep going back. Paul says, beware... Because those who practice these things, listed in verses 19 through 21, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, listen, this doesn't mean that if you sin or you fall once, that you're not a believer and you can't go to heaven. He's referring to a practice where you make a lifestyle of doing such things. The Christian will sin. The Christian will mess up because we're still in the flesh. We still will fall short, but there's grace, and we need to repent. We turn physically from the thing that we have been trusting in and desiring, and we turn to God. There's a physical action. You're turning away from that thing, and you're running towards God. Repentance. And so we need to constantly be in this place of repentance going back to God. But on the other hand, to make a practice out of sin, to make a practice out of the ways of the flesh, it's not of God, it's not of the Spirit. So listen to me, for someone to be okay with, and you may not like this, but for someone to be okay with practicing such things, as I just listed off, that Paul listed off, or even approving of those things, without grieving or battling, then one should question if they truly have been redeemed. For the Christian, there is no such thing as Christian complacency. There's no such thing. I know this is tough. There's no such thing as I'm good, it's all good. You know, I got grace and I'm gonna do my thing, and God's still gonna love me. I'm cool. You can do what you should do too. You know, God I love you. No, no. That's not that's not the gospel. That's not the Bible. That's not Jesus' word. Again, this isn't saying that you can lose or you have lost your salvation, but to be okay with sin is to say you probably were never walking with God in the first place. Yeah, Y'all, I, I love this list, although it's not all exhaustive. What it does, though, it lists off sins. It lists off natures and things inside of us where everyone whether you're religious or not, we all deal with them. Paul is warning all to beware of certain practices. This is why he's been railing against self-righteousness and approval through your works, because it doesn't yield the fruit that we ultimately want in our lives. No, no. Instead, sin will take you farther than you want to go. It will make you stay longer than you want to stay, and it'll make you pay way more than you wanted to pay. Paul said trust it works and as hard as it is to hear this list one must ask is this me which desire or which nature do I desire the flesh or the spirit and I know you say well okay pastor I I I hear you, the ways of the flesh, but what about being led by the Spirit? Listen, when you're led by the Spirit, and you're giving your all to Jesus, as I've been saying before, it gives you freedom. It brings about change. You are no longer who you used to be. You can't stay that. You're not the same person. The Spirit doesn't work in you. And Paul here, he starts to switch gears a bit, and he talks. You notice when he talks about the flesh, if you're looking at the text with me, he calls them works, but then when he mentions the spirit, he says, the fruit. You get you get this understanding of, of agriculture, or as we've been saying, cultivation, where it takes time, and you spend time on something, and you're as you do it, you... It, it starts to get better. It makes it better. It starts to grow. It, it starts to flourish. So he says fruit. But before we get into the fruit, there's four things I want to note. I want you to write these down. They're not in your text. I, I, want, you, I, I, wanna, I want you to note these things about Christian growth. I want to give these to you. We learn first that Christian growth or the fruit of the spirit is gradual. It's not an overnight effect. This is why we get frustrated with walking with Jesus sometimes. There's no immediate gratification when walking with Jesus. That It's not microwavable. The way of the Spirit requires patience. It requires time. So the first, as we get into the fruit, this is a gradual growth, okay? Secondly, the fruit of the Spirit is inevitable. If someone has the Spirit of God in them, then growth is inevitable. A Christian that has a fruitless life... Is no Christian at all now this is not to be misinterpreted to say that the fruit is what saves you but to be a Christian that bears no fruit there's no such thing the Christian is going to bear fruit because it's the Spirit of God working in you and thirdly the fruit of the Spirit is internal meaning that the growth happens on the inside the fruit is an indication of being alive the fruit doesn't give life. It, it's working on the inside. Follow me with this thing. It, it's sort of like trees and leaves. The leaf signifies that the tree is alive, but the, the leaf doesn't give life to the tree, or else we look around at all these trees right out the window and say, every tree in Chicago is dead in the wintertime. But that's not the case. The life is deep within, internally, inside the tree, all the way down to the roots that we cannot see. Fruit of the Spirit is gradual, inevitable, internal, and lastly, the fruit of the Spirit is symmetrical. Notice it doesn't say fruits of the Spirit. It says fruit, singular, which means that you don't get one fruit of the Spirit without the others, okay? They all go together. And and I know some of y'all looking at this list already, and you're like, well, Pastor Di. I'm good at some of these, but I'm not good at all of these. Listen, listen to me. Don't confuse the fruit of the Spirit with your temperament or your strengths. Mm. For instance, some of you all, you're, you're naturally more generous. You're, you're naturally more patient with others. But that doesn't mean the person that doesn't have these natural things doesn't have that fruit. Doesn't mean they don't have the spirit. Beware of shortchanging the work of God in your life with your own mannerisms. Hmm. Seek out and live in the work of the spirit in your own life. Learn to depend on God in those weak places. Those places where you feel like you can't do it without him. And what you'll experience is the work of the spirit in your life. And and, and I got to say this, family. Don't fool yourself or judge wrongly. With looking at what you think might be mannerisms when they aren't always mannerisms or the work of the Spirit. Now, what, do I, what am I saying? <laughs> Someone might be naturally more gentle, but in reality, they're really not gentle. They're just not bold. Yeah. Ooh. Ooh. They're fearful, yeah. they're passive. That's not the work of the Spirit, and that's also not mannerisms. got to be careful with this thing. And so so let's look at what the fruit of the Spirit is. Take your phone out if you want to. I want you to take a picture of this list. I'm going to read through it, but I want you all to remember this, okay? You're not going to be able to write it all down, okay? Number one, agape is love. It, It means to serve a person for their good and intrinsic value. Not for what the person brings you. Its opposite is fear, self-protection and abusing people. Its counterfeit, fake version, is selfish affection, where you are attracted to someone and treat them well because of how they make you feel about yourself. That's not love. Love is to serve a person for their good and intrinsic value, not for what they bring to you. Secondly, joy. A delight in God. I love this one. It's a delight in God for the sheer beauty and worth of who he is. Its opposite is hopelessness or despair, and its counterfeit is an elation that is based on experiencing blessings and not the blesser. Causing mood swings based on circumstances. It's a delight in God for the sheer beauty of who he is. Three, peace, meaning a confidence in rest and wisdom and control of God, rather than in your own. It replaces anxiety. Anybody feel that? It, it replaces anxiety. It replaces worry. The fake version of peace is indifference, apathy, not caring about something. Number four, patience, an ability to face trouble without blowing up or hitting out. It, it's, its opposite is re- resentment towards God and others. And its counterfeits are cynicism or lack of care, saying things like this is too small for me to care about. Five, kindness, which is an ability to serve others practically in a way which makes me vulnerable. We don't like that. Which comes from having a deep inner security. Its opposite is envy, which leaves us unable to rejoice in another's joy. And its fake alternative is manipulative good deeds. Doing good for others so that I can congratulate myself and feel I'm good enough for others or for God. Ooh. Kindness. Six, goodness. It's integrity. Uh, Being the same person in every situation rather than a phony or hypocrite. This is not the same as being always truthful but not always loving. Getting things off your chest just to make sure, make yourself feel better or, or look better. I'm just direct. That's, I'm just going to say it how I. This just makes me feel better. No. That's not goodness. It's not integrity. Number seven, faithfulness. Loyalty is courage to be utterly reliable and true to your word. Its opposite is to be an opportunist, a friend only in good times. And its counterfeit is to be loving but not truthful, so that you are never willing to confront or challenge. Whew. Gentleness, humility, it's self forgetfulness. The opposite is to be superior or self absorbed. Humility is not the same as inferiority. Lastly, self control the ability to pursue the important over the urgent rather than to always be impulsive or uncontrolled. The slightly surprising counterfeit is a willpower which is based on pride, the need to feel in control. Now, as we look at this list, you hear it read, if you're like me, Tammy, there's, there's probably this overwhelming sense of how much I lack in these areas. Listen, the solution is not to turn to performance. It's not to just start working harder. It's not to rely on the gifts that you look in this and you say, well, I'm good at that as your justification. The answer is to learn to grow in the work of the Spirit. So what does one do? Paul doesn't leave us there. Verse 24. We have to begin by remembering we belong to Jesus. When we believe we belong to Jesus, what does this mean? We're fully loved. We're fully accepted by God through Jesus when we believe. By grace, we have been saved through faith. It's not our own doing. It's not our own works. There's freedom there. This means that we can freely acknowledge our shortcomings, whether in this list or not, and our want to follow the flesh But at the same time, no, we're still accepted. This goodness leads us to fall deeper and deeper in love with Jesus. It leads us to turn away from the things that we're chasing after and to turn back to Jesus. Because nobody else fully accepts you when you fall without holding it over your head, let alone die for you on a cross. We have to know that we're by the goodness of jesus when we believe secondly verse 24 he says we we have crucified the works of the flesh with christ which means we don't have to live under the power of the influence of our flesh but we have power through jesus power through jesus to be free to be different we can fight and kill sin when remembering jesus already defeated it now does this mean that you'll be sinless does this mean that you achieve perfection on this side of heaven? No, not until you meet Jesus face to face. But listen, the more you say no to your fleshly desires and the more you say yes to Jesus, the easier it will be to turn away from those things that you know you shouldn't be chasing after. You say, well, pastor, how do I say yes to Jesus? How do I say yes? Through prayer, through constant prayer, continual prayer, through, through living in biblical community. Biblical community that loves Jesus more than they love you so they can point you back to Jesus when you're off track. That happens in church. That happens in the groups that most of you are a part of. And also by living and breathing the word of God, being in the word of God daily. I write in all my Bibles in the the front of it. This Bible will keep me away from sin the more I'm in it. But the more I'm out of it, the more I will sin. The more I'm consumed here, it will keep me away from sin. We got to ask questions like, I I know I want this thing, but is this a thing that God wants for me? We have to not not just look at what we're doing wrong, but also ask, well, why am I doing this thing? Be curious. Is there something that, that we're believing deep down within us that this achievement, this person, this job, this thing is going to give me instead of Jesus giving it to me? That's where this idea of over-desire it comes in. Because whatever that thing or person is that you're desiring other than Jesus will never give you true fulfillment and will leave you longing for more, chasing after it over and over. I need more, I need more. The believer has to watch out from getting to this place of forgetting what Jesus has done for them on their behalf and then going back to believing, well, this is good for me. It's subtle. It doesn't yell at you. It's just there and you're, ah, this looks good. This looks good. It's going to, it's going to you're going to face it when you walk out these doors. Live in freedom, family. Remember, there is grace and growth takes time. So don't be so hard on yourself. But also, don't abuse grace. Don't say just, Jesus loves me, so I'm good. I can just do whatever I want. Don't abuse it. And also, I got to say this. Don't just say no without being curious of your motives. You got to be curious. See what's underneath what you're doing. I know for instance, and I'm going to talk about this. It's, some of us deal and battle with porn, commuters, and, and looking at the wrong things. And you put guards on all of your computers, covenant eyes on all of your phones. Guards are great. But if you just stop at that, then you're never going to tackle what's really going on in your heart. You got to be curious about what is it that, that's making me run towards this vice? What is it within me that's making me go towards this? And it may not be porn. It may be drinking. It may be overworking. It's something for you that you're running towards, and you need to be curious about what's really going on. Is it my lack of feeling power? Is it my lack of feeling control, comfort, or significance? What is the sin beneath the sin? Be curious. As we get to the end, verse 25, living by the Spirit, and growing takes time, and it's an ongoing process. So Paul says, keep in step with the Spirit. We have to actively obey and walk by the Spirit. The Spirit comes to help us, but also to glorify Jesus. Friends, the believer has to be active in this process, this process of turning from whatever it is and turning back to God, trusting in the continual work of Jesus. He died for my past, my present, and my future sins. There's this battle that goes on within us, and you have to fight. When we run to Jesus, we're replacing our over-desire, our inordinate desire for the wrong things with Jesus. The Spirit helps us in this thing because for some of us in here, if we're honest, there are certain things in your life that you're battling with that you can't see your way out of. You can't work your way out of these things. You, you can't get out of them. You don't even know how to acknowledge them. But when you actively, listen, when you actively pursue Jesus, what you'll start to see is the Spirit of God working in you to change you. So with that, family, hear me. Don't give up. Don't give up. Acknowledge the battle and fight. I don't know what that fight is for you. Fight. And so, with that, what I want to do, we're going to end this way. We're going to end, we're going to take communion. Um, but as you come up here to take communion, there's going to be cards. And you can do this at any point. We're going to sing a song, it's going to be music playing. There's cards up here. There's pens if you don't have a pen yourself. What I want you to do is I want you to write down what's that one desire? What's that thing in your heart that you keep chasing after that you can't, have, you can't live without? I know I used E.T.'s Charming Cheesecake, but it may be your work, maybe your kids, your spouse even. Something has taken the place of God in your life. What is it? Maybe it's some vice, some sin, something that's going on in your life. Write it down. And what I want you to do with it, you can put it in this bowl or you can just throw it on the floor. And what we're going to do is symbolic. We're saying we're giving this to Jesus. I can't, I can't do it by myself. For some of you, it may be I'm giving my life to Jesus right now for the first time for, to be my Lord and my Savior. I'm done trying to hold on to the will of my life. I'm yours, God. What is it that you need to fully submit and give to Jesus this morning? I want you to write that thing down. Nobody's going to read it. I just want you, symbolically, to say, this is, I'm giving this to the Lord. We're going to collect them. We're going to just throw them. We might burn them things. We're going to, just, we're going to get rid of them, okay, because you're giving them to Jesus this morning, saying I'm his. the gift of Advent, we think about Jesus coming. He gave it all up so that we could be His. What is it that you're holding on to that you need to lay down today? Let me pray. Father, thank you so much for your goodness. You're truly a good God. God, I pray that as we this morning spend time with you in reflection and response, God, I pray that we would give our all to you. Not just parts of us, God, but all of you. Some of us We need to stop being lords of our lives and our own saviors and give that to you. Some of us have vices and different things and pursuit of money or success. And we haven't even tasted the goodness that you are giving us because we're trying to do it all by ourselves. God, I pray right now, whatever it is, that we'd humbly come to you and say, it's yours, Jesus do with me what you want. Make me the man or woman that you want me to be for your good and your glory. And ultimately in return I'll experience goodness like never before. Let us have the right motivations. Let us have eyes and hearts that seek after you and you only. Holy Spirit work in our hearts. It's in the mighty name of Jesus that we all sit together. Amen. Amen.